Okay, and that sign up there says appendage. Uh, that is uh, a thing that is added to or attached to something larger or more important. Nope, that's applause. That says applause. Greg, did you flip the light on that sign? For Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. All right, here we go. Remember, you guys are all a big part of Weiwo TV, and the better you are, the better BJ is. All right, you see that nice lady? She's giving me a sign, and that sign says we are on in 10 seconds. Okay, get ready to have a good time. Tonight on the episode, we have AJ Jacobs. AJ Jacobs joining BJ on the show tonight. All right, here we go. All right, everyone, quiet on set, please. In five, four, three, two. I've uh, got hopefully answers for you. I want to. I want to ask you, uh, and we can count this as, as part of part of the interview. Um, do you ever go back to your previous books and you're like, I would love to try that again, or is it, or once you finish, do you sort of just close it? Because I, I think about. I've been following you for about a decade. Let's say uh, you had the year of living biblically, which was wonderful. That's that was my introduction to you, and I, I, I always wonder if you would ever consider like going back and doing that again, or is it just one project and then on to the next project? I love that question. I will say, certainly I still, those projects still affect me, uh, even if I, I've stopped them. So, you know, the, the Bible did have a big effect on me. I, as you can see, I don't have a beard and I don't stone <laughs> adulterers, but they, there was lessons about gratitude and not gossiping. Uh, I guess I would... Um, I, one of my first ones was I read the encyclopedia from yes. A to Z, yes. and I am—I um, have forgotten 99.9% of that, so it might be interesting to do again. Uh, I mean, people have said I should try to read Wikipedia, which is literally impossible because <laughs> more articles come up every second than you can read. But I actually am obsessed with Wikipedia, and I love looking for you know the weirdest Wikipedia entries. So maybe there is something in Wikipedia. And certainly, um, yeah, I, I also think, how would I do it differently? And uh, so, yeah, I have trouble reading my old books because I just look at, I don't know if you feel the same way about yours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hard because you're like, oh, I made an error there. That, yes. that was some sloppy thinking or how can I have worded it like that? Uh, and especially like now, I've yeah, I think that some of the stuff I wrote really early on, like you know, it was just cheap shots at uh, David Arquette. What's wrong with David Arquette? Nothing. He's a fine he's a fine person, I'm sure. Like, why did I think that it was okay to say that you know he was an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean like I have I have that same sort of cringe when I go back and, and look at the past. So I've written to ghost wrote to others and with all four of them i i, I am i feel shame <laughs> like looking yeah. back at them because i'm like that's not who i am now that's not my style today so that's why i was always kind of curious like even if you were to do a through z if you were to select like you know a, a, a like a slither from wikipedia of a b c a through z uh that would be a lot of fun to see because you you can't do all of it but you could certainly do a cross section that's uh, an interesting idea maybe i should do that I mean, my fear is that people will be like, God, you, you used to be so much better. <laughs> this is I, I, no, but I, I kind of like that you exist in, because there's not a lot of books, you know, it, it's very Plimpton-esque, right? Like, it's always very similar to, like, George Plimpton, but there is no more. I love George Plimpton, yeah. But there is no more Plimpton, right? Like, you're kind of it, 
for Plinton S. Books. And, <laughs> and so I kind of feel like you you run this genre, so you could probably do whatever you want. And oh, uh, thanks, BJ. Uh, I so, hope so. That, I mean, that's a great segue to talk about the new book. Uh, yes, I'm excited about the new book, The Puzzler. One man, I, I try to solve all the hardest puzzles in the world. And, and it was actually, this one was... Uh, came about in a weird way uh, that was it was actually I was working for three months on a totally different book that I had a contract for and everything and I was just miserable and my agent was the one who said you know you love puzzles why don't you just focus on that and I was like thank god Uh, and the other book just in case you want to keep it in or feel free to cut it out it was I still think it's an interesting idea. It was uh, called fact-checking my life, and I would. It was about sort of the fake news and the the truth crisis. What? So I was going to check. How do I know? How do I know the most basic stuff? The, how do I know the world is round? How do I know my wife loves me? She says she does, but I'm not in her mind. Uh, how do I know that the New York Times is more reliable than Newsmax? So it, it was. Uh, it's an interesting idea, but as I said, it was, it was maybe it was just overwhelming. And uh, yeah, it's it's a big. That's a. I, I mean, I would kill for a book like that because to me, um, I, I hate using like a fifteen dollar word, but like we live in an age of epistemological warfare. Right? That's like, a good phrase. I like it. Like we're constantly inundated with, with misinformation and BS, and so a book like that to me, it, I think everyone's asking that question. Yeah, like, yeah. especially now, like, how do I know what to trust, what to believe? You know, there was 319,000 people uh, that we can now statistically point to and say those people died because others didn't get vaccinated. Like, that Got came it. out uh, the, at the time of this recording. That was breaking news from NPR this morning. And, and so, like, we, we now have, like, you can point to this and say this is what this information does. Right. You know? And it is a tough problem. And, I, I mean, I came up with some heuristics while I was doing the project. I mean, one of them is just being, I'm much more trusting of any source that is willing to admit it's wrong. And, uh, and one of my favorite communities, it's called Effective Altruism, and on their website, they have, here's a list of everything we've been wrong about. And I just love that. I think I should do that for myself. I'm, that, that makes me think I'm going to put on my website. Because I made errors in my books, uh, right. you know, unintentional, but they were. Uh, so, yeah, I like that. All right. Thank that's you gr- for That's a great that. content series. Like, I would read that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like, like the New York Times comically, uh, when they were talking about initially flying to the moon, and they were talking about the technology behind the rockets, the New York Times is infamously said, this will never happen. Wow, that's and interesting. Had, and they had to go back and issue a correction uh, like 30, 40 years later because they had said <laughs> they said no one would ever walk on the moon is what I, what I believe. And uh, forgive, forgive me for listeners if I get this wrong, but uh, they had to issue a correction after you know the initial moon landing saying we were wrong, someone landed on the moon. I love that correction. <laughs> well, it reminds me also, I used to work at Esquire magazine and, and for uh, the 75th anniversary, I, I went back and I read a ton of old copy. And one of them was... Their foreign, uh, their foreign correspondent writing a column about how this this Herr Hitler, as he called him, Herr Hitler was no big deal. Yes. He was not a threat. And I was like, oh man, you. I hope I hope there was. I didn't see a correction for that. Yeah, right, right. Hey, it's me, God. I know it's been a while. <laughs> 
and I haven't been the best dad, especially this century. Well, I was going through some shit, and you know what? I'm not going to talk about it. All you need to know is that I'm doing commercials now. I've got bills to pay, too. Do you have any idea how much I just lost on crypto? A lot. A lot. And so now God needs your money. Like, for real this time. Not like all those other times every Sunday. You know who else needs your money? B.J. Mendelson. So give him $5 by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. That website again is buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. Buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. And if you don't give B.J. your money, you and I are going to have problems. Big ones. Commercials suck. And hopefully one day we won't need them. But until that day comes, we have bills to pay, brother. What the fuck is this copy? I, I don't know, man. BJ wrote it, and I think he was high when he did it. How do you know he was high? I just, I read through it, and I just have a feeling. I don't know, man. Just read it. <laughs> what kind of bills do we have to pay? Well, for starters, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to feed a super intelligent ape who wants to kill Superman. Yes. First, he said he would pay BJ rent, but then some asshole told the ape about squatters', squatters rights. Yep. And he's a supervillain, you know, so he stopped paying rent. Now we all kind of work for him. He's a terrible boss. One time he was eating some guy's face and just left the rest of him in the middle of the floor. I guess it's better than working at Amazon, though. The apes got this cool ass setup in the basement of BJ's mom's house. You should see it. There's this kick-ass pool down there. I have no idea how you get a huge pool in the basement of a small house, but he found a way. Separate lines, he found a way. Now, if only the ape could remember to take out the garbage in his office before he leaves for the weekend. Everyone else does it. That includes Stephen Wheat, who works in accounting and shits out of his mouth? <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on here in Harriman, New York, home home of the... Yeah, man, I'm pretty sure he was high, but let's just get back to it. <laughs> now, let's get back to the show! Uh, let me ask you, like, do you, so when, when you do get something wrong... What has been the response traditionally? Do you have readers come up to you and say, hey, this was, you know, this wasn't quite accurate? Like, do you have readers that actively try to correct you? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of my most embarrassing moments was in my my first book, which, first of all, was called The Know-It-All. So, which I said is sort of tongue-in-cheek, but obviously you're going to get real know-it-alls who are going to correct you. And terribly, I misspelled Wayne Gretzky's name. I used oh, an no. S instead of a Z, which is just embarrassing. And I always thought Canadians were supposed to be polite and nice, but they came after me. They were like, you. <laughs> so I always regret that one. I mean, but that's like a, um, those kinds of mistakes are, are embarrassing. But I think there's, I've also made sort of, um, uh, more uh, deeper mistakes about uh, 
and, and held beliefs that were wrong. I think I should have been a lot more skeptical and dropped dead healthy um, of some of the pseudoscience. Uh, like, uh, I remember, I, I think that there was some study that said, if you floss, then it, it, every day it's going to add five years to your life, something along those lines. And I put it in because it seemed like a reputable source, but totally not true. I mean, that is, first of all, it's ridiculous to try to quantify that. Uh, so anyway, I, I think I should have been more skeptical during that book, for uh, just as one example of what I would do differently. Yeah, I think we, I think we all we all have those. That's part of the the trade off of writing a book, right? Is that once it's out, you, you, it's like turning around an aircraft carrier to go and issue a correction, and it, it's, it's, sometimes the publisher doesn't want to. Uh, so yes, I could imagine. Uh, but let me ask you, like. As you do your fact checking and your gathering for for what you could say the puzzler, what do you have a process in place where where you try to make sure things are as airtight as they can be? Yeah, I I, I do my best. I I take massive amounts of notes and I always put where the notes came from. And then when I write it, I go back and check. And I actually have a friend who is uh, he was a fact checker at Esquire. He's also a great writer, um, but I hire him. I spend money out of my um, uh, my book advance to get him to fact check, and so thank God for him. I also I'm always paranoid about inadvertent plagiarism, uh, yes. and so I actually run it through a plagiarism software checker to see if I've, I I luckily have never, but uh, it is uh, it's so hard because. You know, yeah. you're, you're taking so many notes, you might inadvertently put something in that someone else wrote. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very easy trap to fall into. And I, I think it happens way more than people care to admit. So, I, like, I love that you – I hate that you have to pay for it. I feel like the publisher should pay for it. Uh, <laughs> that's just me. I, I said it, not you. Uh, <laughs> but, but let me ask you – so, you know, that, that takes me to the, this question I ask everyone about the creative process. And, and so uh, I'm curious to know – how one of your projects begins like what's what's it start with oh yeah well i love this question I, and i i love that you ask this uh, a couple of thoughts occur to me first i am a big advocate of carving out 15 minutes every day to just brainstorm ideas uh, some people are good and they get ideas in the shower or, or walking but I find I'm often too distracted, so I have to shut down my computer, shut down my iPhone, and just brainstorm. And it could be book ideas, it could be article ideas, but it could also just be stream of consciousness. And the key part to remember is 99% of these ideas suck. They are just crap. <laughs> I'll never use them. But hopefully there's 1% that is usable, and, and I, uh, that will just keep coming back to me. I'm like, oh yeah, remember that idea? Maybe there is potential in that. So that's one part I find very important. Uh, and then uh, I guess I like to, um, I like to tell, I'm very into, I used to be super paranoid. My first book that I wrote was like a joke book comparing Elvis Presley and Jesus. And I was so paranoid, I would not talk about it. Like, like this was some state secret. Like, who cares? 
It's a, like a little joke book. Uh, now, though, I have the opposite. I think the benefits of talking about your project outweigh the, uh, the downsides because you've, you find people say, oh, I know someone who makes these beautiful Japanese puzzle boxes. Do you want to talk to them? So they're always adding, and you can see what resonates. What yes. you can see, like, will, will their eyes glaze over or do they, you know, they'll always, no one's going to be polite, not, well, not many, but most people aren't going to say that sucks and I'm bored. But you can tell in their eyes, like, do their eyes light up and they ask questions or do they like, oh, that's interesting. So that, those are a big part of my creative process. Is there an idea that, that you loved that you felt like this will never happen? Like, like this has, I could never actually do this, but I, I love the concept of it. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I have gotten a, a lot of suggestions from readers, which I love. This one I am glad never happened. I get, for some reason, I get a lot of people say that you should, you should be the greatest lover of all time and try to explore all the positions in the Kama Sutra. Uh, and I did bring it up to my wife, who's like, God, no, that's a horrible idea. And, and I agree. No, first of all, I would not want to read that book about myself. I would read it about someone else. Uh, and also, I'm too old. I'm too old. I don't have the flexibility. So that was one. I do think, um, what else? I mean, uh, I, I still am interested in exploring this, as you say, this epistemological warfare. But I don't know how to do it because it just keeps getting worse with That's... the deep fakes. I'm so terrified. I'm so ter I think we lived through a like a 100-year period where you had some sort of benchmark, like videos and, and photographs. They weren't perfect. You could manipulate them, but you could somewhat trust them. And now that's gone out the window. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the, the Civil War photos from Gettysburg, is that it, people don't realize that they were staged. Oh, like, really? I didn't yeah, know that. The photographer came after, after the battle and actually had moved things around to take the photos that we now have today as historical copies from Gettysburg. Wow. So those yeah. are the original deep fakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to so me, interesting. the other example I like to tell people is there's, there's a great book about um, Lincoln and the use of media uh, during his time. And he actually owns a German language printing press to put out what is essentially political propaganda to get uh, the German speaking people in Illinois to come out and vote for him. Wow. So this goes, I mean, to me, Whenever I see the things like the defect, it doesn't surprise me because we've always it's always been there, right? Like it's it's always been some element of someone trying to, to tilt us in one direction or another. But you know, I think what's happened is now it's become weaponized in that um how do I how do I describe this succinctly? Uh they've essentially figured out, they being the Russians, that that they could quote unquote flood the zone with so much misinformation now. That it's, you know, it's, we've come a long way from staging Civil War battlefield mm. photos for the purposes of posterity to we're just going to make you so angry and frustrated that you tune out the political process, which mm. is what, which is what the goal of that is. Uh, I, I think we're in, but my solution is actually to pull back and not be on the internet so much and to mm. not watch the news as much. Like I now just watch 15 minutes of the news every day and then that's it. I'm out. Good I'm for in, you. I thought that's super healthy. I feel like that's that's one way that we can fight this, but I'm sorry, this is a this is a tangent. Let me get back to an interesting tangent, though. I enjoy it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Let me ask you about George Plimpton, um, because I think a lot of people 
watching this and listening to this might not necessarily know who he is, but would would you say that he was an inspiration for your style? And like, I'm just curious what the influence was yeah. for your approach. I'm a huge fan, and he was a writer. I guess his heyday was in the 60s and 70s, maybe. And he also founded um, Paris Review. Uh, but he was a uh, one of his. One of what he liked to do was he would put himself in a situation, often athletic. So he would join a professional baseball team and actually play. So he wrote about that, and he did that with football. He got hit in the face by a heavyweight fighter. I forget which one, maybe Joe Frazier. And he wrote about that. So he was much more physical. Like, I think that he was braver than me. I don't, I don't think I would want to get hit in the face, even for like a, a best-selling book. <laughs> I don't want to get hit in the face by Floyd Mayweather. But, uh, but I loved his approach. And um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's called immersion journalism or, uh, uh, um, or like method journalism or stunt journalism, which I'm fine with. I, I think... You know, why should stunt have a bad connotation? You know, it is, uh, stunts are interesting. So I, uh, I did. I, I loved reading him growing up. And, and I guess that drew me to it. I also loved uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, who wrote yes. Nickel and Dimed. I thought that was a wonderful book. So they were all inspiration. Oh, and it goes back. Nellie Bly was this uh, amazing journalist, uh, a woman journalist at the turn of the century, like early 1900s. And she was fearless. She went to, uh, she committed herself to an insane asylum to expose the abuses there. And she did lighter stuff too. She went, when the book Around the World in 80 Days came out, she went around the world in 80 days and filed articles about that. Uh, so she was wonderful. Do you think that, see, I, like, I don't distinguish between what Hunter S. Thompson did and, and what you do. To me, it's just journalism. You know, like I, I never bought into like adding that, that little qualifier in front of it because oh, that's what well, journalism, that's what journalism, journalism was until about, let's say, the 1940s and 50s when it became corporatized and they, they started mm. to institute that voice from nowhere because the voice from nowhere didn't offend the advertisers. And then we, that's where we got this very, stilted form of correct journalism but to me it's just it's just telling a story which is what journalism is and you, you do it so well and so uh my next to last question for you is what what advice would you give to people watching this that see what you do and like this is this is like fascinating in terms of an approach to journalism what would you what would you tell them where do they start how would they begin huh. something like that well uh yeah, I encourage people to do it. I find it fun and fascinating, and uh, and I'd love to see others join. Uh, I will say, you know, it's it's a tough market right now, so maybe uh, start not just with writing, uh, start with video and writing, or just video, because I think there's a lot of room for that. You know, whatever. Start with social media and uh, and see if you can get some attention, maybe that will lead to a book. Um, but I would also say, try to do something that, with my projects, I, I always try to find something that has a deeper meaning for me and hopefully for the readers. So it's not just a mindless stunt. It's not like, you know, I have people like what, say, why don't you learn how to play the French horn? Uh, for for a year and become the best French horn player. And I'm like, maybe someone else could do that book. I'm not passionate about it. It wouldn't reveal anything to me 
about sort of deeper. Whereas uh, something like the Bible, when I live by all the rules of the Bible, that really changed my life. And, you know, that was taking on this incredibly um, important to me uh, 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 topic of what does, does religion serve any good purpose or is it all hogwash or what am I missing by not having religion? Uh, why do people take the Bible literally and millions do? Why is there creationism? All these are big topics, meaty topics that you can approach in sort of a light and uh, uh, almost absurd way. But at the heart, hopefully there's something important and, uh, and life-changing in there. Uh, where can we find your books? Where where do you want to point us to? To you know, to pre-order the new book, to find the older ones. Oh well, wherever books are sold, and hopefully uh, indie booksellers. I, it's so funny to me because when I started, Barnes and Noble was the big evil empire, mm-hmm. and now they're like a struggling mom and pop. Uh, so <laughs> even Barnes and Noble, you can buy them there. But uh, my website is ajjacobs.com, and uh, and I am. Uh, aj at ajjacobs.com if you want to email me love to hear from readers or uh whoever uh but yeah uh that's where i am and my final question is what's one question you've always wanted to be asked in an interview that you haven't been asked yet Mm, i love that uh how about what if you ask why do i think vultures are the greatest species around that i've never been asked why, and why would that be? They're wonderful. They are, they're not predators. They don't kill anyone. Instead, they clean up carcasses. So those, that, those calories, that energy would go to waste without vultures. But we don't like them because we're A, we've got to hang up about death, and B, they're ugly. But the reason they're ugly is because they don't have feathers on their heads because feathers would collect the carrion and, and that, that would stay uh, and be, you know, bad, that would be a, a germ situation. So thank you, vultures, for, and let's stop using them as an example of negativity. That, <laughs> that, that never was, been asked that. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset that the Mets are good now. Why is that? Because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97-year-old pitching coach. You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, th- that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been? Like right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout chewing tobacco and saying shit like, Send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, Coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, The hell he is! Get him in there! I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever. I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good. Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Weiwo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. You did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. 
be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelson and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time. Right?